Welcome, action fans, and thanks for joining us for another edition of All 90s Action All the Time as we cross the midway point of our 90s Kurt Russell season. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Murphy, and on today's show, we are going to be looking at executive decision. And who do I mean by we? Well, of course, I mean my regular co-host. He's a screenwriter. He's one third of Bloodhound Picks. And he's a man who knows how to cut a dash in a tuxedo. It's Mr. Craig Draheim. Glad to be back. I was trying to think of a good line from this movie, but I could not think of one that worked well enough. Ah, oh well. Um, Yeah, it's not necessarily full of memorable dialogue, but... Uh, We'll get into that further. And also, I have to introduce another co-host. Yes, returning for his third appearance on the show. It is YouTuber, actor, and one of five people to have genuine nostalgia for this film. It's Mr. Caleb Knudsen. Hi, Caleb. (laughs) I've made uh, several executive decisions to be here today. That's, that's there we good. go. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Caleb did it. He managed it. He managed it. He just not he, from he the just, movie, but yeah, he said the title of the movie, just like they <laughs> yes. do in the movie, and we'll discuss that as well. <laughs> now, before we get into it, as always, a bit of background on the movie for y'all. Executive Decision was released on March 15th, 1996, which means it is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. It was directed by Stuart Baird, whose only other directorial credits are US Marshals and Star Trek Nemesis. However, he is much more famed for his editing work. Uh, He edited such films as Tommy, Gorillas in the Mist, Skyfall, and a whole lot of Richard Donner pictures, including The Omen, Superman, and Lethal Weapon. It was written by Jim and John Thomas, who are most famous for writing the first two Predator films. And uh, review-wise, it is currently sitting at a 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb. 65% on Rotten Tomatoes, based on 40 reviews. 62 out of 100 on Metacritic, based on 20 reviews. And it has a 3.0 on Letterboxd. Finally, box office-wise, it made $122 million worldwide off of a $55 million budget, making it the 25th biggest film of 1996. And... Fun fact for you, it is sandwiched between two terrible films because the 26th biggest film of 1996 was that John Travolta thing where he's an angel, Michael, and the 24th biggest film of 1996 was one of the worst Arnold Schwarzenegger films ever, Jingle All The Way. Anyway, uh, on to executive decision. Now, I said about your nostalgia for the film, Caleb. So we'll go to you first about your memories of executive decision. Well, I remember watching this, not in the theater, but dad renting this uh, probably right when it was uh, released onto VHS during that time. And I'm almost certain that he rented this because he knew that uh, Seagal was in this movie and dad was always into those martial arts 
action punchy punch films and he's a big Seagal fan and I don't think he had any idea that he's only in the first act of this movie and after that and, and that was my big um, hype for it too it's like Seagal Seagal's in this? this is gonna be awesome and then he's not and I'm like what, what? he's gonna come back right he's gonna like fly and get on the plane um, but yeah no that's was my first blood with this movie and then as I was uh, telling Craig before, I would watch, I would see this always like on uh, some movie channel on, on cable, USA, TNT, whatever it was. And I'd always catch it near the end. So I've seen Kurt Russell uh, land a plane several times over many, many years. Apparently Kurt Russell uh, can actually fly for reals. That's one of the few things that I, I caught in the research. Some of the films that we cover, like I could have, you know, like for example, Tombstone. I literally could have researched that film for weeks given all the material um, that is on the internet. This film, not so much. But one of the <laughs> things I did learn that was uh, Kurt Russell can fly. Did he, Craig, did he learn to fly because of this? Uh, no, apparently he was, uh, could fly Here. before. Okay. He'd had some flying lessons before this was made. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Craig, you have much less memory of this film. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mine is way less. And then I'll probably go into a tangent that I was going to bring up. Um but, oh no! Like, so like, are we going to go I into tangent land it. already? Yeah. This early on in the show? God <laughs> damn it, Craig! Oh, fine. <laughs> that was going to be four hours long. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, it's one of those where I know I must have seen it, like, but I just, yeah, I couldn't, can't remember any. So this was basically a first time watch and i know i must have seen it when it would have come out on vhs or whatever it was but no that's what i thought well because i know caleb you were here for stallone and we've covered seagal we've covered stallone and now russell and i was thinking of it while watching this and kind of wanted to bring it up and then hear your thoughts on it both of you but you know a lot of times with these action stars, just like with horror or genres like that, they kind of get listed as like a, you know, a genre actor, an action star type of thing where it always has this feeling of like it's a good thing, but also, well, they're not considered real. The Like the Daniel Day-Lewis of actors or whoever it may be, like a that kind of real like emotional actors and stuff like that. But Kurt Russell is kind of a weird one because even though on I guess on paper like he has a lot of these action roles he he kind of fits that that genre actor he never it never seems like he's listed in that same category as somebody like Stallone or Seagal or Jean-Claude Van Damme or whoever we may be covering later on so yeah that was kind of this interesting whole thing that I was going through and wondering why (laughs) Because, you know, going through it. But then this movie kind of shows it, I feel like, because his character isn't really like the action hero in this. He doesn't play that, you know, Stallone or Seagal person that we've seen, you know, up to the seasons up until this point. Yeah, he's not, um, in, yeah, in this movie, he's not uh, like that stereotypical action star that you would have seen in the 80s and the 90s with Stallone and Schwarzenegger where they would 
be all oiled up and showing off their biceps and triceps at every chance that they get in this movie i don't i don't think we see him shirtless at all <laughs> um which is definitely doesn't fit that but this movie is also also kind of strange because it's not your stereotypical action movie it kind of feels uh, it's it's like a like a spy espionage type type film i guess it's very much it very much falls in that kind of action it's kind of i feel like it falls in that similar territory to the harrison ford jack ryan movies kind of action thrillers yeah and and Kurt Russell, I think, is just one of the uh, of the several action stars that we get from the '90s because there is there is a shift in the idea of what an action star is when you go from the '80s to the '90s and you get more of that everyman type character, the guy that yeah. uh, people could watch on screen that they could be like, you know, I if I worked out, I could look like that. If I worked out like a couple of times yeah. a week. <laughs> And if I'm not pumping my body full of steroids, you know, I wouldn't get to St- uh, Stallone or, or Schwarzenegger. But if I, you know, put a little effort in, I could beat this guy. So Russell, uh, uh, Willis, uh, Reeves, all these action heroes of the 90s is all that everyman hero. I think the actually, you know, to, to like... Um... To give like a possibly weird answer to your question, Craig, I think that Kurt Russell kind of exists on a plane on his own because yeah, you've got like different categories of like you've got through and through action stars, which are like Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Seagal, Van Damme, etc., etc. You've got action stars who who are primarily action stars but also do serious work, which is like Bruce Willis, Mel Gibson. And then you've got serious actors who became action stars, which is like Nicolas Cage, um, Denzel Washington, a few others. Uh, like, uh, and kind of almost Harrison Ford as well. Yeah. Uh, kind of weird. But Kurt Russell doesn't really fit any of those categories because he's not really seen as an actor's actor. He's not really seen as like the same way that um, Nicholas Cage or Denzel Washington were before they became action stars. He's not really seen as like the kind of Willis Gibson thing of like being primarily an action star. And he's not a through and through action star at all. He's just a guy who turns up in movies. Like it's like, I do feel like he exists yeah. on like, his <laughs> own category and like, he's cool. And I, I like, you know, I really like Kurt Russell and it's, it, you know, he does this Kurt Russell thing, which tends to be, I mean, it's a bit different in this movie, but it tends to be one of two things. He's he's either doing the kind of badass, the kind of stoic badass, which he does a lot. You know, like um, he 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 does it a bit in like Backdraft and and like um, in, in Tombstone and um, actually Stargate as well. But then he like he he does that, and then he does like a goofy badass, which is like you know tango and cash like big trouble in little china you know like more more recently guardians of galaxy volume two and that's kind of his two main modes um but like this he's a bit he's a little bit different i I suppose 
yeah, he he is actually kind of a little bit different um, in this movie because I and I, I don't quite buy him as kind of bookish in in this movie. I buy him as intelligent. Like it's not like uh, Seagal playing an immunologist uh, kind of hilarious or anything like that. I buy him as intelligent. It's just like a man with that square of a jaw. I just don't buy as as kind of nebbish and bookish. Wait a minute! You don't buy him as bookish. They give him glasses. <laughs> <laughs> oh well sold sorry caleb you're right that. you're right i was totally wrong i've been put back in my box <laughs> well i think this movie then yeah. basically is the Not definition only... of, of your definition uh, scott because kurt russell just kind of shows up here and then all of a sudden he's thrust into hey you're the leader yes he is very much yeah i and the, the other thing i've noticed like um you know like looking at his 90s filmography is um Kurt Russell, he seems like a good guy. And he's also like, in terms of like the movies, he seems genuinely unselfish because like basically all the movies we've covered up to, up to, to, to this point, all the movies are all like kind of ensemble movies. So he's, he's playing and he's just playing his part. And, he's, and, and, and although he is like second lead in, in, in Backdraft and he is uh, the, technically the main lead in, in Tombstone, and uh, yeah, you know, like again, he kind of becomes the main lead uh, here, even though it seems like it does set up to start with as if Seagal's going to be the main lead. But like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's you know, it's, it's quite he often quite plays these kind of ensemble pictures, and we'll get to films where he is clearly the star because um, we'll we'll cover you know Escape from LA, which he's staplessly, and then obviously that's less of an ensemble picture. And then uh, like at the end of the season, we'll be covering Soldier, which again is is very much a Kurt Russell vehicle. And um, but most of the films we're covering, and most of the films that Kurt Russell is in, are not Kurt Russell vehicles. They are just. Uh, he's one of the main players. That, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because I don't know. Yeah, thinking about pretty much everything he's done, I think it's one that he works. You know, some actors, and I think he has tons of charisma, and especially that old school Hollywood charisma where you just your eyes are drawn to him. Tombstone is the exception because you have Russell versus Kilmer, and Kilmer's going to take your attention with Doc Holliday, but. Yeah, um, but I think no, like I yeah, there's people who are doing much actors, bigger performances yeah. in Tombstone because I think like uh, you know Michael yeah. Bean as Johnny Ringo and even like Powers Booth and stuff as well because they're chewing up the scenery so hard. Like yeah, Russell doesn't um, pop as much as as he would. Yeah, but I mean he's one where I think he does best when he's working off of somebody else too, because mm. you look at even his comedy stuff with um, Overboard, <laughs> with Goldie Hawn or. Um, what was it captain ron or captain something ron, with martin yeah. short where it's like i think he's yeah just one of those actors that is best bouncing off of another person yeah and having re recently rewatched um tango and cash uh, i can i can say that as well and that is a film where it in opposite to tombstone he is the kind of support who very much steals the movie I know, I know technically it's like, you know, like they're, they're cool leads, you know, but obviously still going ego wise, you know, like, but Kurt Russell very much does yeah. that film. <laughs> Kurt Russell and whatever the, the fuck Jack yeah. Palance is doing as the villain. It's such a, like, you know, if listeners at home, if you've not rewatched Tango and Cash in a while, watch it uh, for the bizarreness of it all, and particularly the bizarreness of Jack Palance's performance, which is 
Like he just says every line like this: tango and cash, cash and tango. It's such. I don't. I don't know what he's doing, but we're not, we're not covering that movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, somebody, Caleb, tell us how uh, executive decision begins before we go on another tangent. Save us. Okay, I will. I will try to save. Because we we open up with our our I forget what branch of the military they are, but the, they're the Sagolanites, I guess. <laughs> he and his team are <laughs> are coming out to uh, to come to this complex because, <laughs> because they are they are they were given intelligence that there is a Soviet nerve toxin uh, in in this mansion kind of safe house of whatever uh, uh, mob uh, mob is there whatever and Seagull he's doing his Seagull thing he's taking out watch guys left and right with only a knife and not a gun uh, in I have to say probably one of the most comical ways I've ever seen you have this very tall white man coming at you just with a knife and he's able to stab three people in in the throat and the last guy, who is supposed to be, uh, you know, keeping watch as the alarm, is running away from him. And instead of saying, "Hey, we're being invaded," or "Hey, there are people here," he goes, uh, uh, and the <laughs> stabs him in the throat. Um, yeah, but they so they go through this complex. They're shooting up all these people, and they get to where they think this nerve gas, this nerve toxin is, and the room is empty. And Seagull is deflated. He, I guess he, he's embarrassed. I'm he not sure what the emotion is here, but he's, he's pissed <laughs> off that this nerve gas that he brought his team in. I think he lost one of his team members. One of them got shot, but it yeah. was all for nothing, I guess. Yeah, that's true. So there is a couple of things that I want to highlight uh, in this scene. First thing. I do love very classically 90s. I love uh, a good digital readout um, so we know exactly uh, where we are in the world. And like this digital readout goes like a step further because like it tells us the team, it tells us the mission objective, tells us kind of everything. It's almost as if like it's like a game of Splinter Cell or something. It's like you just get all the details. So that amused me. That's point one. Point two was the guy who died He uh, goes up to a guy who's tied to a chair who is clearly dead and says, hey, you all right? So he kind (laughs) of deserves his death. (laughs) Hey, bud. You okay? You can walk it off, can't you? (laughs) Um, And then... Yeah, then Seagal gets informed that, uh, you know, his, his fellow comrade, his fellow part of his team that, uh, you know, has died. And he just looks at the guy like, yeah. And then just walks away. <laughs> just, no, no expression on his face. I know Seagal can't really do emotion, but like, um, it's so funny. <laughs> he looked like a kid that, like one of his friends broke his favorite toy. Like he has his gun cocked and loaded and his arms just drop and he goes, uh-huh. and then he just kind of slowly sulks away out the door. Just, mm, whoa, whoa, is me. <laughs> so first off, uh, I think that'd be a perfect Saturday morning cartoon. Seagal and his Seagal and Nights. Seagal and his Seagal and Nights. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's what we're going to call them uh, from, but, from no, there on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that is actually what so 
and this pops up so much and that is that they're like special forces they're the best of the best or whatever and throughout this whole movie with the exception of well even the end is that they're all like so clunky and bumbly <laughs> like they're not like the most precise special forces they're noisy everything about it and that that typing where it does the digital readout Mm-hmm. It was start by the end. It was starting to get to me because you even hear the did the, the like typing sound. I'm like, okay, we don't need, we get it. We get where the location is. We don't need it. <laughs> but it seemed like every scene for the first thirty minutes is oh yeah. Here's where it, we are, and it just I love like in the yeah. very next scene, in the very next scene where we're introduced to Kurt Russell, who's taking Chekhov's flying lesson. We are uh, we're introduced in the digital reader, and it says in the digital reader, David Grant, PhD, Becking Research Institute, consultant to U.S. Army intelligence. And you're like, you know, like we didn't, <laughs> could have could have presented that in another way, I suppose. You yep. know, it could have I, like it, yeah. it does get out of hand because even at the end of the whole unsuccessful raid, it says objective or toxin unrecovered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what made <laughs> it you. feel like i'm like uh, like a game of metal gear solid or splinter cell or whatever it's just like it's the opening mission it's... i couldn't i couldn't gather that from the empty room so thank you very much but yeah you're you're right we not even so, the empty room but yeah but yeah so the so that plan is a miss and then we flash forward three months and uh, Grant, our introduction to Kurt Russell as uh, his full name, Grant David Grant. David Grant, uh, you, PhD. We don't know what his PhD is in. Doctor, yeah. Doctor David Grant. Uh, he is. He's taken flying lessons of a small little, uh, small little aircraft, and here we get the sense that he is not the most um, uh, decisive person. I guess we should say since the movie is executive decision because he's second guessing uh, everything about how to land this small little plane, even though he does have his, uh, his teacher, his coach next to him, but he's thinking, okay, the flaps landing gear, uh, reduce my speed. Oh God, what am I forgetting? And the teacher says, Hey, just fly the plane. You're doing great. You haven't forgotten anything. But he yeah. Lands. And that's kind of, no, that's why um, I think, it feels so different. And what I was talking about before is that throughout it, they really push this whole thing where he's very much a deciding from an intellectual perspective. Like he needs all the information he can before he's willing to make any sort of decision. And so, and yeah, that's par- part of it of like the guy, the teacher kind of saying, you're good at, you're actually, you're really good at it. And you were good at it weeks ago, but you just need to do it. <laughs> I kid. You can't, you're overthinking everything. Yeah. You just need to, yeah, you just need to trust yourself and go with your gut as opposed to your brain. Even though, you know, the brain does help a lot of times, especially yeah. when you are making very big decisions, like do we shoot this plane down with nerve gas or, or what, but. Yeah, that's true. But um, like it, the film tries to, tries quite hard to be like, this guy's a nerd. He could never, he could never help out in a kind of action situation. And then like, that's kind of supposed to be the kind of whole journey of the movie, I think. Like, it's like... And I think, I think I remember that the first time I watched this thinking that, God, he's such a nerd. There's no way that he could, that he could do the stuff. We need to go on that plane. <laughs> <laughs> like the first time I was so upset. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
for for sure um but you know like uh we'll get into like um when Seagal uh, dies you know like uh later yeah. on but very much um this movie would have been like 80 minutes if um if Seagal got on that plane like um you know it would have been it would have been much more efficient <laughs> he would just been like tossing guys yeah, left right just... and center and you know like yeah. it's it's uh it would, you know like the, the whole kind of what happens here just wouldn't have happened all the sneaking about and stuff like that and watching people through cameras you know no 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 nah. he would have yeah he would have just opened the door and been like I will, i'll take everyone out <laughs> hey yeah. you with your ak-47 come over here so i can break your neck <laughs> <laughs> i i do i do get I, i'm glad though i'm glad in that opening se- uh, scene that you know seagal does get to do some seagal shit like you know like just stabbing people in the throat you know like yeah, uh, it's, yeah. it's still fun it's still fun to watch but he's so uh, kurt russell has landed and i think he's actually about to take off again because yep. the flight instructor is like hey you need to do this and if you do this you get like your full pilot pilot's license or something like that he's about to take off and one of his co-workers assistants stops him and says hey we got a we got a, a, a break on on a case because a couple of, of, of terrorists or there was an attempt i mean i need help with this i'm i'm confused as to exactly what happens here uh, <laughs> uh, like some terrorist gets captured but i'm not exactly sure why because of the weird montage that we get so there's yes the weird yeah. montage <laughs> at the wedding where the egyptian terrorist is abducted and it seems like he is picked up by the british um so like yes but then there's it is just presented in this really weird way and it is filmed through that filter that they often use when it's like somebody's having a flashback, which is really weird because nobody's having a yeah. flashback. It's just something that's happening kind of concurrently with the with the ongoing plot because we know that because like two seconds later, Kurt Russell is hearing about it just being breaking news. So it's it's not it's just presented in a very strange way. Yeah. So my issue i actually wrote it feel i thought like oh you know they talked to kurt russell and they you know based on what we've seen so far going into it i was like oh this is some flashback he's having to explain why he's so like undecisive and everything but then i kept watching it going no he's not even in these scenes something what what's going on now <laughs> yes it's not a flashback it's actually happening (laughs) yes but i think that's what makes it so confusing because like what craig says it feels like oh this is a mission that kurt russell was on that went wrong and kurt russell is having a flashback but no this is happening in real time as as kurt russell is getting this new it's, it's very strange i do not know why and and it's edited very weirdly and um, which is odd uh for a guy who's an oscar nominated editor uh to pre- present it this way i don't know it, it reminded me a lot of if anyone is a, like a fan of like uh, um uh, cis or anything like that whenever they flash back to you know, like the like the murderer committing the murder and yeah. leaving the evidence behind. That's the, like that filter and that kind of quit, uh, quit choppy 
cut editing zoom ins just reminded me of that so yeah like the whole flashback thing that you guys were saying yeah but But but, then that kind of makes sense because like when they do it in csi it's like them picturing how the, the the murder went scene went down in their mind so it's still happening in somebody's mind this isn't happening in anybody's mind this is just happening now this this (laughs) <laughs> now this montage this whole capturing of this terrorist and I forget the guy's name because it, it was very confusing to me but was kurt russell behind this was his team behind this no he just gets informed of it like it does, it's, it's, it's like a joint uh, american british operation or something like i i got very confused as well to be yeah. fair it's not because yeah they, they by the way the terrorist is called el Sayed jaffa Okay, and he is played yeah. by Andreas so, uh, Katsoulis, um, who is most famous for playing guitar. Uh, uh, um, he's most famous for playing a character in uh, Babylon Five that I, I, I've gotten the name wrong. Jakar, Jakar, that's the name, right? Okay. <laughs> anyway, great. Continue. No, that's what was confusing as well because so he's given this information and you think, okay, so he's going there because of that. But then almost immediately after there's the the suicide bomber, which again, as we talked about before recording, does not age well at all post 9-11. No. Uh, but there's a suicide bomber who yells, you know, a lot and all that and blows up a whole, I think it's a restaurant in London and so I, that's where I was confused as well going, okay, so is he getting the call and going with them because of the capture of this man or because of now the suicide bomber? Or like what? Yeah, the, the suicide bomber really here, doesn't... Which, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the weird thing, yeah, that scene um, with the suicide bomber and like, fun fact, um, when, we, when I watched that scene, I was like, I recognize that actor. Where is he from? Um, so that actor, uh, like many of the actors in, in the movie, um, uh, not Mid- you know they're they're Arab terrorists, um, not Middle Eastern actors. Uh, so like that actor who plays the, C- the suicide bomber is uh, Juan Fernandez, and he was the villain in uh, Crocodile Dundee too. That's where yes. I recognize him from. <laughs> I thought I was the only one who rec- who realized that. <laughs> yes, he plays Miguel. Too. I was like I'm not, I'm not going to mention that. No one else has seen. Crocodile Dundee too. Yes, I have. <laughs> well done, well done, sir. You were building this up, and I was like, "Oh, say it, say it, say it." Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, Middle Eastern terrorist played by Juan Fernandez, um, who was born in the Dominican Republic. Uh, so <laughs> I, I love fucking nineties Hollywood. It's like, oh, they're Hispanic. Close enough. It's 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 nobody. Can, white people can't tell the difference. Um, <laughs> No, we can't at all. Classic, oh, classic. Jesus Love it. <laughs> yeah. and, and so this is kind of what takes us to, again, one of the most outdated elements of them being on the plane, this, these group of terrorists, and you're seeing all of the equipment that they bring on <laughs> and are able to make, like, guns. They're basically keeping guns inside of camera cases and, like all of the stuff and you're watching a guy, oh no, nope. <laughs> that wouldn't happen anymore. 
yeah well, but even in like you know this is uh or ever. in like 1995 i was like oh can they just plant guns on the plane before takeoff and then go through customs like this seems how are they doing this <laughs> i was i was trying to yeah. remember like do we get a reveal as to how because all of all of these AK-47s, which I guess was the terrorist gun of choice back in the 90s. You, you watch any James Bond film, all the yes. evil guys have AK-47s. How they're just sitting behind like the food trays, like down below. How I thought we were going to get a reveal as to how these got on, but we don't get that at all. No, and we don't get anything like, you know, because clearly there would have had to be time where they went through customs and pretended just to be normal passengers. So they would have had to plant the guns ahead of time. So there would have been a time where they were not yet, they went off the plane and went to go back onto the plane, that the plane would have just been like the the, the crew and and how no air hostesses or anybody um, spotted any of these guns as the passengers came onto the plane, um, also unexplained. You know, maybe we should just shouldn't look too far into the logic of this. <laughs> you're right you're right it's 90s it's 90s action we should we'll, we'll let we'll let this one slide they just yeah. the they planted guns on the plane it's it's fine they also planted a, a bomb yeah. in the in it it doesn't matter yeah and it's not just a little bomb like no no that would have taken a lot of effort to put that in cargo um yeah but, but anyway yeah. um <laughs> but yeah we're getting onto this plane and it's all kind of like what craig was saying it's all kind of pieced together there's a terrorist that blows up a restaurant and that kind of deters the the attention of the u.s government a little bit and kurt russell but then we just see people just getting on this big ass plane and they're taking off for america which i i want to bring this up this plane is huge has anyone <laughs> been on a plane yes. this big? <laughs> oh, no. I mean, shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. really? Any plane that I'm on, you're squeezing to get through everywhere. <laughs> That's true. Um, That's, it is, so it's so I've been plane. on a plane to you know, plane overseas, and it was a larger plane, but still, that was one of my notes of this. I'm like, man, even being in like these little corridors they have a lot of room to just kind of move around and do whatever when they're sneaking you know, later that, on in that, the movie that's very true like i because i've been on a really big like because i've flown to new zealand um from from the uk uh to, to new zealand and obviously the kind of emirates planes that fly you know that you know it's one of the, the longest distance flight you can take from from the uk uh to the new zealand and um, so it's a massive plane, but like, yes, the, the, the walking space is still not that big, you know? Um, so like, uh, so yes, this was um, a ludicrous size plane. <laughs> Just, we needed a big plane to, to give people enough room to have dramatic scenes with each other, I guess. Yeah. Also, we should point out uh, some of the characters. So we were, we're introduced um, to Halle Berry's character, Jean, and uh, we're, we're introduced uh, to to a friend of hers as well, who I've just put, oh, that uh, that other here, basically in my plot notes, I've put that other air hostess is going to die because she, uh, Halle Berry gives her like a little present for a wedding. And as we all know, if anybody is close to their wedding or close to retirement in an action movie, hmm. Uh, marked for death. Yep. 
Um, yeah. It's, a, it's actually a point. I could, so that lady, she's wearing, um, she has red nail polish on. Yep. But when she goes down into the basement to de- and gets, you know, killed by her head hits that thing, she doesn't have nail polish. I noticed that. <laughs> I did not notice that. Well done for that catch. I didn't notice it either. Yeah. Well done. Symbolism, I tell you. Yeah. Uh, but uh, just keeping, uh, no, like keeping notes on the cast, um, that uh, character, Allison, is played by the late Mary Ellen Trainer who um, had a recurring role in the Lethal Weapons movies as a psychiatrist. Um, so there you go. Well, and, and then there's also the other uh, uh, stewardess, Nancy, played by Marla Maples. Who that is I true. Only know be- I only know because she made a guest appearance at WrestleMania 7. That's all I know her from. Yes. There, and- there's their wrestling <laughs> note right there. There's a wrestling note right there. As I, as is required on any podcast that you come on, Caleb, yes. there always has to be uh, a wrestling note. Um, you know, like uh, we made more wrestling notes um, in the backdraft episode because Craig was away, and then we, you know, we can just <laughs> we can just go at it. But yes, uh, Marla Maples, Marla Maples, who was uh, married to Donald Trump at the time. Yay! Good oh. <laughs> cool. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on swiftly, uh, <laughs> like real swift. Um, oh, I would have also, been like, if this is my plane, this never would have happened. No. I make the decision now, crash this plane now. You know what, Caleb? That's a really good impersonation of Alec Baldwin doing an impersonation of Donald yes. Trump. <laughs> that's the best I can do. Excellent. So, I, you know, just linking back to the backdraft episode, so in backdraft. Uh, we had the late actor J.T. Walsh uh, playing a shitty politician. Uh, J.T. Walsh um, also appears in this movie. And Caleb, what does he appear as? Well, I think we're going to put him in the same category as Kurt Russell, according to Craig. He's one of those actors who plays the same role every single time. He is a shitty politician. (laughs) Yes, indeed he is. Last time out, he was a shitty alderman. This time out, he's a shitty senator. And he, he is... He's one of those just supporting actors who gets cast in everything. It's amazing just how much stuff he just pops up in. And they're like, oh my God, it's J.T. Walsh again. How do you keep getting all these roles? But good for you. Yeah. He will appear again in this season. There's a lot of cast. There's a lot of people in this cast that are then not used really like mm. the the u.s marshal or whatever that they like they're kind of well known or they're you know they pop up in a lot of stuff especially in the 90s and yeah you're like oh they're in here and they're okay so they're just kind of one of the passengers sitting there oh all right then <laughs> maybe you'll be important probably not but yeah well i i must say that like i don't know if they're like they're not famous they're, they're like people you've seen in things. They're no. like, they're people you've seen in things and then you take a beat and you're like, what did I see them in again? And like, you know, just like the U.S. Marshall guy. The U.S. Marshall guy is played by Richard Real, and it's like, oh yes, Office Space. Office Space, that's yeah. it. Yeah, which I don't even know if he has a line. I don't I don't feel like he ever says like... No, he, he doesn't get involved in the action at some point, but like, no, he just kind of, he's just, his whole I role think... is just kind of looking pensive. Um, yeah, I- I think he had one line at the very end of the film where he was talking with with Gene. Be like, those marshals, where did they come from? 
And that was like the <laughs> only line he had. He d- he's well, had and he's one where you're, but you're you're almost <laughs> expecting more from him because he um, he hides his badge and he hides the gun, and so you think um, for Caleb's sake, pulling out a theater reference of it's going to be like a Chekhov's gun, and then right. it kind of plays a part later on, but not really. Yeah. Um, to be fair, we've already had like we have Chekhov's flying lesson, and later on we have Chekhov's straw. So like, um, yeah. we we can only have so much Chekhov. Yeah. <laughs> Some people say you can't have too much Chekhov. <laughs> For me, you can have too much Chekhov. <laughs> but yeah, you're you're right, Greg. There's he's there's it takes a long moment where it holds on him moving his gun to his his sock and he takes his uh, credentials his air, air marshal credentials and puts them in uh, the the vomit bag in the seat in front of him and there's even a point where uh, later on gene uh, halle berry hides the ship manifest or the plane manifest so that the terrorists don't know that an air marshal is on there or maybe they have an idea that there is one but they just don't know who it is yeah you know uh, because oh go ahead oh no i was just you can go on (laughs) i was just gonna uh, say you uh before we move on with the with the plot scott you brought up backdraft our backdraft episode and on there you you asked me the question uh what blood does scott glenn drink because he always looks the same in every movie yep i'm gonna say that about halle berry scott what blood is she drinking? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like uh, this has become one of the season's uh, recurring themes of like uh, <laughs> vampires in cinema. Um, so like we had Scott Glenn in Backdraft, and then we had the steam discussion, uh, Craig uh, and um, uh, another uh, podcaster, Wayne from the One Pound Movie Podcast, um, about Sam Elliott in the Tombstone episode. And that, so this is the third time uh, that vampires have turned up in, in Kurt Russell movies. Um, so so yeah, uh, she, she could also be a vampire as well as uh, Sam Elliott and uh, Scott Glenn. Um, yep. Yep, I'm not sure exactly. Um, I mean, this probably needs further investigations. Vampires in Hollywood. Um, so, um, so uh, that, that could be an episode <laughs> onto itself. I think vampires are very, very, very talented surgeons in LA. Yep, um, I f- I feel yeah. so. I mean, I mean, like um, you know, he's not going to come up uh, this season, or or maybe uh, at all in this podcast. But um, Paul Rudd definitely also uh, uh, one of the Hollywood vampires. So like, we we definitely need to watch out for these things. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll find a way to bring Paul Rudd up in this episode. <laughs> it'll, it'll happen. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but so we. But we get so moving on with the plot here. Um, so yeah, we're introduced to all these characters. The terrorists take over this plane. One of the terrorists gets to the cockpit and says, "Maintain your your course that I entered in, and be careful because I'm a pilot." And I'm thinking, why don't you just drive the plane then? But you know, mm. <laughs> That's um, a fair point. Uh, again, we're kind of uh, picking at the logic. Uh, you know, the, again, <laughs> it's it's just you're on a road to nowhere it's a bit like um, my other big note about this is like um the the lead terrorist uh nagi who is played by poirot um he, he is um uh he 
he has a, like he's wearing a disguise as like an old Jewish guy, um, but then immediately takes off that disguise. And then we find out much later in the movie yeah. that the only picture that the, the intelligence agencies have of this man is a 25-year-old picture in his student days, so nobody knows what he looks like. So literally, there is no point in him being an old Jewish man for two seconds. Yeah. Well, and, and then we find out that his intention was to go down with this plane. So yeah, you're right. What was the point of even of even hiding his face when he's not even planning on making it out of this whole thing. I loved how he just left the wig in the bathroom too, for just in case like anyone else went in there after him. <laughs> like, I'm not going to flush it down the toilet or put it in the trash. Like, no, nah, I'm just going to leave my wig right there. Uh, who cares? But they take over well, the I will. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. And I, I will say that until, you know, he starts either killing his own or slapping Halle Berry or stuff like that, there's moments in this where you're you're almost like in another you know this weird kind of twisted world that they set up between him and Halle Berry. Like, are they? I don't know because he actually he's really nice to her and he's a very diplomatic terrorist. Like he's just like he doesn't argue with her. He's like, oh yeah, you can feed them, and like he's just he's proud or not proud but he's like he compliments her on being brave and stuff like that <laughs> that is true and then even when he is super aggressive even when he's slapping her around he doesn't like he's he's not like uh too concerned about her being troublesome or whatever he just slaps her around and then it's like get on back with your work and that's <laughs> And then just leaves her be. Like yeah. I immediately drop my suspicions off you. Yeah. I've... Oh, maybe it's uh, that old. Just yeah. maybe it's just like mutual, not mutual respect, but just respect, I guess, for her because she's constantly doing like risky moves. Um, and I, I think maybe um, this uh, Hassan guy just, I guess, respects that out of her. He could get angry at her with that, but there's some respect out of wow, you took you try to take initiative and put your neck out there on the line. Whereas a couple of my, my, uh, my friends here, my fellow, my fellow warriors on this plane, some of them are freaking out when I tell them that we're not heading back later on in the film. Um, and then he shoots them. So I think it's maybe it's a little respect. I guess he respects her a little bit for what she's doing, even though it's yeah. kind of thwarting his plans. But we should we should motor on away from the plane because yes. we're about twenty minutes into this uh, one hundred and twenty seven minute film and uh, we've been recording for about forty five minutes. Uh, okay. So like let's let's go away. So we right. cut to a big um, we don't know what it is. It's a posh party. It's like an ambassador's reception or something. Um, which uh, Kurt Russell's character, Doctor David Grant, is at, and he's using his apparently usual chat up line of just having hockey tickets in his pocket at, at all times and being like, "Hey, <laughs> you like hockey?" Um, <laughs> that's that's a classic Doctor Grant line, apparently. Um, which uh, you know, I, I, mean, I don't know if it's worked for him. It, it doesn't seem to be that successful, but you know, like maybe it's worked for him in the past. And then we uh, I mean, I was called I away. Would go to a hockey game. Kurt Russell. I would go too. You're right. Yeah, no, I, I would go to a hockey game. If Kurt Russell got over <laughs> me hockey tickets, I'd be like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Me and Kurt at the Stanley Cup, you know, like, yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yes, but, but they, yeah, so Kurt Russell's at this at this dinner and this plane is hijacked and the 
Secretary of Defense here in the U.S. gets word of it, and uh, they want to bring in everyone that has any knowledge of this terrorist group, um, and and uh, Niggy, anyone who has any information on him. So they bring in Kurt Russell, and then they bring in the uh, the Segalanites, or at least the leader of the Segalanites, <laughs> Stephen Segal. Uh, what what is his name here? His name Austin is Travis. Austin Travis, yes. Uh, but they bring him in for a meeting as to, hey, how do we how do we take this guy out without uh, with the few least amount of casualties as possible? And Travis is all about, hey, let's you know get me up there. We'll take him out, no problem. And everyone around the table is talking and talking and talking. Uh, Grant tries to get. tries to interject here and there but everyone seems to talk over him or ignore him until finally he breaks through saying because apparently he knows this guy like the most out of anyone in the world and says that i don't think this is just a hostage situation i think this man means to make a statement somehow um i think there's a bomb on board and i'm i'm dr grant so i'm right and there's a big kind of like staring between Travis and Grant because Travis is putting together that this guy, Kurt Russell, Grant is the one that gave him the false or the inaccurate uh, information about the nerve gas in our very first scene of the film. Um, so he gets a little testy there. They come up with this idea that they're going to take the stealth plane and attach to the underbelly of the commercial flight and they're going to sneak their way on board. And Travis <laughs> makes the suggestion like, well, I want all of the information on this guy as possible. While I'm up there. So this Grant guy needs to come along with me, which I, I, don't, I don't, I think that was kind of like a, a, a dick measuring point in the, in the movie. Oh, for <laughs> sure. <Yeah>. Characters. <laughs> like, so uh, but this is the thing that most entertains me about this movie that like uh kurt russell's character dr david grant effectively becomes the hero of this movie because of a prank because like you know basically travis uh, uh colonel austin Tra- lieutenant colonel austin travis uh kind of bullies him and into being on the mission of just being like well if you have the brass balls to come on a mission with me, let's see, let's see, do you? And then he's, yeah, he kind of taunts him into it. And then, and then he's like, uh, I don't want to look bad in front of these generals. Uh, uh, yeah, sure, sure, of course, uh, I'll come on the mission. And also the other thing I want to mention is like uh, Kurt Russell's character uh, does not have time to get out of his tuxedo, so spends the whole movie in his tuxedo. And the one of the funniest moments, the the moment that made me laugh out loud the most in this movie is the look of sheer fucking disgust that Steven Seagal uh, gives Kurt Russell when he sees that tuxedo. It's hilarious. (laughs) Because they they see each other in the hallway (laughs) going to the meeting. And it's just the slow, it, the, the speed of the film just slows down, <laughs> just lingers on it like crazy. See, uh, and with that, it makes it seem, I thought, because Kurt Russell knows about Travis, or knows what Travis looks like or whatever, and so you think, oh, Travis already knows Grant, and that's why he's giving him the dirty look. It's like, oh, I gotta deal with this guy again. But no, in the next scene, then he finds out that it's Grant. 
So we're like, so you were just giving him a dirty look for no reasons. It's because of the tuxedo. He was looking at the tuxedo and been like, "Oh, this fucking prick." Yeah. As, yeah. as as rap says in the very next scene, who is this? 007? <laughs> rat, yeah. who, rat who is played by John Leguiziano. And that is like in terms of like the behind the scenes, you know, I, I didn't manage to get like loads of behind the scenes, but one of the stories that I did get um was from John Leguiziano, who mentions this in a bunch of interviews, that he had a confrontation uh with Steven Seagal on set. And uh, basically, Seagal uh, apparently was kind of acting the boss, kind of doing the big boss man uh, kind of routine and kind of stepped in and kind of said, I'm the leader, you know, like you, everybody listen to me. And uh, like he said this in front of like the Seagalanites and uh, John, John Leguizamo laughed. And then this <laughs> caused Steven Seagal to like... Um, elbow him against a wall um and like totally like yeah 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 like um uh, so um so yeah so that was um uh yeah uh, a set, like he was a bully so, in the film and he was a bully on set apparently i i bet so i i mean yeah he gets a lot of flat for because he did like the pest or you know whatever it may be but i actually normally like john Guzamo. I think he's like a pretty solid, you know, actor. And then a lot of the stuff he does. And he's always like one of those actors where I'm like, man, I wish you got more like a bigger role in certain movies or things. Even like uh, I watched The Happening recently to kind of do the rewatch of, well, maybe this isn't as bad as I remembered. And watching it, I was like, I wish you were the main character because you were way more interesting than anything else. Yeah, I think like um, I think John Leguizamo is good in like kind of supporting roles of things, I, and like he's pretty good here. And like um, I'm kind of blanking. I, I, I he's pretty good in Summer of Sam. I remember liking him in that. Um, he's good in other things, but I think like uh, part of John Leguizamo's problem is like the things that he's most known for. I believe is that movie the past and also being luigi in the super mario brothers movie yeah yeah that's what i was gonna say you're like you'll always be luigi to me yes <laughs> well i bet i bet he had a great time in this in like the second two-thirds of this movie then if that's how seagull was behaving on set yeah apparently so uh so like yeah um, although apparently, again, according to the behind the scenes, um, he ended up, it wasn't like a kind of big thing, but apparently he ended up in something of a little shoving match with Kurt Russell because uh, John Leguizamo was improvising lines and apparently Kurt didn't, didn't quite like that. And then it didn't turn into like a major, like I don't think any, um, it was described as a shoving match. So I think it was just like one of those kind of little things that kind of blew over pretty quickly. It was oh, like, geez. <laughs> a lot of drama on this film <laughs> not everyone was having fun and a good time well geez yeah, yeah. so yeah. all right so kind of going to the plot yeah going to the plot i know one of my notes is that with seagal too is that he just doesn't listen because oliver platt is telling him like um, when we're starting to get into the ceiling of stuff or when they seal the, um, was it the latches to get mm -hmm. onto the plane? Yeah. It's like, I can do it all from here. 
Seagal keeps telling him, you have to go in. I want you to go in and do it. And so there's all these elements of, like, you're kind of signing your own death warrant, Seagal, because yep. literally a lot of this stuff wouldn't have happened and the plane would have been destroyed and everything if you just kind of listen to these experts. I don't think, like, he's... I think he is listening. I don't think he's... Uh, I, I, my takeaway from it was not that he wasn't listening. My takeaway from it was he is a school bully. Uh, he hates nerds and he wants to put nerds in dangerous situations because it amuses him. That's his main character trait in this movie. Because he because he feels that, that makes sense. all these nerds are making all the decisions while my team goes in and Doing the dangerous their shit. lives yes. on the line. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I get that. I I was kind of with Craig though. I think he's just a giant. I wrote that in my notes. Like he's freaking dick. Oliver no, Platt, I just read who, it. Who totally is running the whole? I, th I think he's pretty, <laughs> like he is uh, deliberately bullying them because he wants to see them be put in the yeah. same danger that him and his team are in. Yeah. But and so they do this whole thing where we have the plane element. They line up. They attach. And while they're doing it and the team's getting on, it's another note where kind of Rat is um, doing his jokes. And he, he kind of starts off as, oh, he's the, the soldier. He's like the one that's going to be the punny one or have that comic sensibility. But once Seagal leaves, then he's the one that gets kind of placed in charge. And I wrote it again during it that these special forces are just so bumbling around. <laughs> They're not smooth at any of this. One of them breaks a vertebrae in this whole process. You know, some of them, what, Seagal dies. And it's just a simple climbing up a ladder. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But this, yeah, this is, the, this is the big point. This is the big twist. I think this is what, if people remember this movie, I think they'll remember it for this. So um, this is a 127 minute movie. I don't know how it's that long, but it is. Um, Seagal dies at 42 minutes and 27 seconds into the film. Um, I, I paused uh, when he died. And like uh, Caleb, uh, when I first saw this movie, because you, you know, he shoot, he just shoots off screen. Like he gets sucked out, he shoots off screen. Um, having seen a bunch of Steven Seagal movies before I saw this film, I was just like, oh, well, he's probably just hanging out in the wing and he'll come back in like 20 minutes. Uh, yep. <laughs> But no, he's he's gone. He's just done. He's done. This is, yeah, this is like a this is like a Game of Thrones death. There's no glory. There's no poetic meaning behind it. It's just it, he's sucked out. He saved the team members that he could, and he did. Yeah. Um, uh, Cappy gets injured. Who's played by <laughs> Joe Mort uh, uh, Cappy's injured. Who's played by Joe Morton, who is always a tech guy in every single movie that he's in. And is going responsible of, for Skynet. Yeah. Going going off of what Craig is saying about all these actors with range in this movie. Yeah. Oh, uh, he, uh, Skynet like, Terminator. He is the tech guy in Speed, Smallville, yeah. Justice League. Yeah. 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 And it, like, um, there's always, I mean, in this movie, not in this movie, uh, no, he's just like, he does well with technology. And most things that he is involved with technology, there is serious repercussions. I don't know why people keep putting Joe Martin around technology because usually <laughs> um, there is dangerous things happen um, when he interacts with technology. So like, um, yeah, 
Well, and that's what, what I'll say about this movie and about the Sigalanites is that based on kind of all of the other action movies we've seen and during this time, you would expect the special forces team to be made up of, you know, the, the usual suspects of action film side characters. But no, um, like this special forces team is kind of like it has him. It has John Louis Gazamo. It's kind of a, a weird, long, uh, non-traditional bunch. Yeah, it is yeah, fairly long. Yeah. Uh, yeah, B.D. Wong, who's most famous for playing Dr. Henry Wu in uh, the Jurassic Park films and uh, whichever Law and Order he's in. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is an interesting, it's an interesting group. Also, um, the actor playing uh, Baker is uh, Whit Hubley, who I confused for another actor throughout this entire movie. Uh, can you guess who I, I confused Whit Hubley for? Um, let me take a look at, no, I don't have a picture of him. Um, I'm going to say he kind of reminds me of, um, oh, uh, a hammer. What's his name? The guy from social network, the guy who played the twins. Oh, no, Army I was hammer. very much where, no, because army hammer is much younger. Like yeah, army hammer probably been 12 when this movie came out. So like, right. um, I was not confusing him for army hammer. No. So Whit Hopley uh, was in, in top gun. Um, but I was confusing him with an other actor from Top Gun, uh, Rick Rossovich. And Rick Rossovich plays um, uh, Val Kilmer's flight partner in Top Gun and also plays that legendary character in Terminator who says to Arnie, don't make me bust you up, man. Uh, this- <laughs> <laughs> But he's not that. It's not. It's, it's, it's different. Well, That's not Hull. him. <laughs> not him. It's not Whit Hopley, Rick Rossovich. Um, so apologies so. to Whit Hopley. Um, but they also like if you look if you look them up, um, uh, there is uh, you know you can see a picture of them in Top Gun uh, sitting like Whit Hopley's character is sitting just in front of Val Kilmer and Rick Rossovich's character um, in Top Gun, and they look quite similar. Like I feel like it's an easy mistake to make. <laughs> I'm. I'm gonna. So, uh, were I we there, Craig? Gonna... Were we there at the same time? I don't think we were. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Well, we'll, so we'll I, back to the <laughs> yeah. So, moving on to the plot. So this is kind of where most of the movie from here on out. There's like, you're 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 getting almost these three storylines, and they jump back and forth rather frequently. Um, which is kind of hard for my notes because I have general of like, oh, this happens, but then remembering, oh, well, while this is happening, it also jumps to the stewardess or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing the terrorist group and Halle Berry, who's Jean, and kind of how they're handling things. And then the the pilots even have like a little sub-story. You're seeing the the Sigalanites plus Grant and um, I can't remember Oliver Platt's character's name um uh cahill uh yes, yes. dennis cahill is you um, have oliver him. platt's uh, character's name and then you have basically the um secretary of defense with the generals and them making decisions on stuff like that so you kind of throughout the rest of the time you have these inner workings and kind of switching back and forth rather frequently of these kind of three three-ish groups i guess yeah 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 
Oh, I, I did. I did want to. Um, if, I, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll interject very briefly um, with another yes. quick side tangent. Um, so the other kind of behind the scenes story that I got from this movie uh, was there was apparently a persistent rumor that uh, Kurt Russell um, got Steven Seagal kicked off the picture because there was uh, various um, sexual harassment claims you know, and, and stuff. Bad shit was, was starting to be heard about Steven Seagal at this time in the 90s. And uh, Kurt Russell was uncomfortable with that and got him kicked off the picture. However, this rumor has been proved to be false um, because like checking, uh, there is a website called Daily Script that I've checked uh, in a few other episodes. Um, and that uh, website has a 1991 draft of the script from Jim and John Thompson. And uh, that character always dies, uh, always died at this point oh. in the movie. Um, so that, that, is, that is false. Um, uh, Seagal was always just going to be in the movie for the short period. Um, but anyway, back to you, Craig, with the plot. Yes. Um, so now that Seagal is dead and all that, and their radio equipment is gone because they couldn't bring that up, um, Cappy is his. A vertebrae is broken so half of the team they basically rat and grant start to butt heads a little bit and rat throughout the whole thing now he just wants to go on and get it done because they only have like a four-hour window and grant keeps saying well we need to get all the information we can and we need to plan accordingly and so which is the way the movie goes basically and cappy agrees with him and so they kind of get this whole thing of, well, let's find the bomb first, because once we get the bomb, then we can disarm it potentially so that if at least that will be. So when we try and get them like or do the takedown, then they can deactivate the bomb. And so they after they set up Cappy, they basically go on a search to find the bomb, which is mainly BD Wong is the one looking for it. While then the other, the rest of the team then start going into the roof or even underneath of this plane. Again, a lot of room and setting up the cameras to start seeing all of the different um, terrorists and trying to figure out which one is actually the leader. Which, and, you know, Grant has to listen to their voices because all he knows and can go off is their voices. And then during that same time, we have the senator who is kind of told by his his assistant, I guess, to, that this would be a great use of time to kind of maybe negotiate with the terrorists and then kind of be the savior because that would make him more eligible for the presidency in the future, which is what something he's gunning for. Yes, and the, like the PR, the, the, like the assistance argument is like, look what it did to Jesse Jackson's career. That's, that's, that's what his argument is. And the senator totally buys this argument. Yeah. <laughs> good, good point. Um, and also at this point, like I, I noticed that like, um, uh, obviously uh, he, he's respected. Um, Liguiziamo and Seagal might not have gone on the set, but their characters obviously respect each other because Rat kind of takes over kind of bullying 
Dr. David Grant into doing things where he's just like, well, you know, I don't think this is what he, he, he looks through the cameras for about two seconds. And then he's like, this isn't working. Come up here. You do it. And <laughs> yeah, and at this point, I'm, I'm, I don't know about you guys, but this film totally turns for me. Like when Seagull is gone, all of a sudden I get more invested and really all of the situations, <laughs> them, yeah. uh, them being uh, uh, Grant uh, kind of sh- uh, swinging himself over the roof because he needs to be careful if he, if he puts any pressure on the, on the, uh, the floor underneath him, he can fall right through into the, uh, into the cabin. But at this point, I'm, I'm, kind of on the edge of my seat because there's so many like close calls there are so many moments in this movie where a, a, tr- a finger or a thumb is about to press a button on a trigger and then out, out of nowhere something stops it from happening because i think rat is saying hey we're just gonna take these guys because you have like so many minutes to find the bomb or whatever we're just gonna take these guys but then bd wong in in the baggage uh, uh, area finds finds the bob and bomb and finds the nerve gas and before he blows the lights almost uh, kind of ruining everything they pull back and they go down to the uh, the undercarriage i guess and they see this really high-tech bomb but their main bomb uh, diffuser cappy he's paralyzed he can't do anything so they need to have Oliver Platt, who is only there because he had the plane technology of the stealth plane. That's the only reason yeah. he's there. Uh, he's, he's the one because he's an engineer. He's going to help defuse the bomb because engineers and computers and things. Yeah. <laughs> As Craig mentioned, these aren't kind of your stereotypical action hero commandos. This isn't like, you know, the team in like Predator or whatever. And like, in terms of this film, it works for this film because, like, it, it, like we described, you know, it's not your typical gung ho action. It's more of an action thriller, and the fact that you're not entirely confident that these guys can pull off this mission adds to the tension. Right. These actors are not yeah. are not proven. They haven't been in other action films where they've saved the day before. This is new territory. Um, for them and it's new territory for the audiences watching yeah yeah and only yeah, because it, it even gets to oh, i was just gonna say it even gets to the point where when they're going to do the first kind of raid before they find the bomb itself at um was it that they give grant the shotgun because bd wong and all of them basically say well we can't like we could maybe handle was he, he says i can maybe handle three by myself yeah, you know, three or four. But, you know, they're pretty honest about yeah how much they can actually accomplish instead of like you were saying with Predator, it'd be you know, uh, or even if Seagal was still there, it'd be that he <laughs> was a one man army and could just take them all out. Oh, he, so. <laughs> Seagal would take out all of them with a knife. That's right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So in this, after the first little uh, Grant going around trying to uh, locate the main uh the the leader of this terrorist group we have our first little meeting of grant i guess kind of meeting uh between grant and the stewardess gene on board and this is kind of where they begin their their whole connection where they have a a moment where gene kind of hides 
uh, hides Grant because he's lowering down into the little elevator conveyor belt thing. Uh, and she kind of covers the little window so that um, Hassan doesn't see him. And this is kind of where they begin their their trust with each other as to she can be their eyes and ears in the cabin while they kind of go above and below uh, trying to trying to storm everyone. And I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I do like their relationship, uh, even though they don't really yeah. ever meet until the, the very end. Which I, I agree. I like that dynamic, but I was going to say, I almost wish they utilized it more because it feels like mm. she does the quick scene where she finds somebody with an electronic device, potentially. And then at the end, and I remember thinking, oh, that would be interesting if this was kind of, you know, it became more of Halle Berry's movie, I guess, moving forward of that. You followed her more so on her trying to relay this information back and stuff like that. But I like it. Yeah, I like the dynamic. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I like the dynamic too. Um, but um, I like Chris says, yeah, I agree with that point as well. They could have beefed it out more. I, they, I, this is a point I kind of mentioned earlier where they kind of naggy like a kind of attacks her, but then it's just like get back on with your work. And like he, is, like, um, or you know, Hassan, um, he is, um, strangely uncurious, uh, you know, in terms of like what is going yeah. on, <laughs> uh, because there is a moment, um, slightly earlier on, uh, where the, one of the co pilots is, is kind of to search below decks because they've had this there's a safety light that's been going off and stuff like that and it's a bit suspicious and then like Kurt Russell kind of like silences him and is kind of like don't tell anybody we're here you know and like the, all the all the kind of Sigalanites kind of making their faces known and like America um, and then uh, you know like, yeah. and then like Hassan just looks down but doesn't like actually go down himself he just kind of looks down and he's like yeah, no, I'm convinced nobody's there. And then he does the exact same thing with the elevator shaft where he just looks down, does not further investigate. It's like, that's all the investigation that's needed. Fair enough. Uh, and, and then yeah. moves on uh, with the rest of his attack. Uh, so, like, yeah. That is probably well, he, my... He even my... picks up the... Oh, no, I was just going to say, he even picks up the phone, too, at that one point when she's talking on it to Grant. He picks up, and then you just see him listen for a second, and then you know hangs it up doesn't yeah doesn't ask who were you talking to or anything no 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 follow-up questions yeah. it's, it's all it's all <laughs> I, I was gonna say though that my that that americana moment that you mentioned scott that's my favorite moment of this movie is when that, that pilot is looking around at all these guys and rat just he uncovers the american flag on his on his arm i'm not a big like patriotic usa usa guy but when that moment happens, it's it's the fist pump moment for me in this action. Oh movie. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. <laughs> You're the good guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're gonna they're gonna do it. Yeah, America. Yeah, this is that's very much um, this. The only thing. Oh no! All I was gonna say yeah, was the only thing that would have been better. Is, oh, you can go, Scott. I was just gonna quickly say that this is that moment is this um, America fuck yeah moment. That's that's all I was gonna say. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I was just going to go. The only thing that would have been better is if instead of a patch on his shoulder, he rolled up a sleeve and it was a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> what, you mean like Van Damme in Street Fighter? Yeah. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, yes. And then when he flexes, it waves. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. That would ah, damn it. Halle Berry. This should have been Halle Berry's story, and that moment should have happened. Damn this movie. <laughs> this would have been amazing. Uh, missed opportunities, man. Yeah. Missed opportunities. Oh, dear. I, talking about favorite moments, you know, you said um, you couldn't, uh, like, uh, get a memorable line for, for the intro, and it's not... It's not very quippy, this movie. There's not a lot of the zingers. But one of the lines that did very much amuse me is um, when they're doing, they're kind of looking at the, the bomb and they're, they're trying to figure how, how to kind of defuse the bomb and um, they're, they're not sure if they can do it. And uh, Cappy says, like, uh, basically, Grant says, like, oh, like, what's our chances? And Cappy says, um, we're looking up the ass of a dead dog, but we got to try. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I wrote that down, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's because Cappy, um, or no, Cappy what, did say that. I thought Cahill said that. You're right. Yeah. Was this, and that was during the first try before they realized that the bomb that they've been working on is a decoy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, this is when they're first first trying to d- disarm it. Um, but then uh, this is also when it looks like Cappy dies. Um, uh, oh, that's yeah. the other. That's the other very funny thing that Cappy says, uh, where he's like, "Oh, you know, uh, and um, can, if we can do this quickly, because the morphine's starting to kick in." Uh, yeah. But yes, so it looks like Cappy's that uh, died, but it, it turns out that like uh, Doctor David Grant, with his PhD and whatever he has, um, figures out that no, Cappy has very much just passed out. He has not died, as the cat, as the morphine very much had kicked in at that stage. Well, and so that's what happens with this movie: is it seems like it's going to take you, like you're almost to that point. Okay, okay, they're about to finally do the attack on this terrorist group and, and, and it's gotta be what three maybe four times where they're about to and then something happens and mm-hmm. so in my notes there's random points where i just so more build in the runtime because <laughs> <laughs> like there's the decoy of the bomb or whatever you know um, or, or, uh, or or cahill is about to cut the red wire and then all of a sudden cappy snaps out of it and he says whatever you do don't cut that wire. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's absolutely true. Yeah, I mean it's a very good point, Craig. Um, I you know I I, I like this movie. I, I think it's like a, a solid movie. I don't think it's a I like this actually of all the movies we've covered. And I think you can tell from like the intro uh, where I read out the IMDb rating, the Metacritic rating, the our, you know, Rotten Tomatoes rating, even the fucking box office. This might be the most middle of the road action movie of the 90s. Like everything about it is three stars middle of the road. Um, but it is it is a good film, but it is also at least 20 minutes too long. Uh, longer yeah. than it needs to be, I should say. Yeah, and this entire yeah, no, I agree. I think. Uh, what are you saying, Caleb? Oh, I was just gonna say, I, I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> we <laughs> lost it there. Damn it. Ah, okay, okay, lost, lost the momentum there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Don't worry, I'll edit out that very long pause that we all had because we're all convinced that we're all going to speak. Um, but the listener at home won't know 
because that very <laughs> long pause will be edited out of the episode. Although me talking about it won't be just to confuse the listener. Anyway, <laughs> on with Don't the plot, Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so they they figure out that the bomb that they've been working on for a couple of hours or however long it was uh, is a decoy, and basically it's you you lift up the kind of the top thing of the bomb case, and there's the actual bomb that is guarded by a bunch of laser sensors, uh, and it looks kind of just like a. I guess I don't know what it looks like. Uh, just two cylinders that are very close to touching. <laughs> and I guess when they do touch, the bomb goes off. And uh, all that's happening at this time, this is all on the plane. What's happening back in Washington is they are getting closer and closer closer to the eastern seaboard and getting to that point where they need to make, drum roll, drum roll an executive decision of, hey, do we let this plane land? Because that's what they say they want to do. Or do we blow it out of the sky? We can, you know, we'll lose about 400 people. But, you know, in, in the big in the big picture, uh, we'll save countless thousands more. So what do we do here? And apparently the president is out of the country, uh, so he can't make these decisions. Because there's no <laughs> phones and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's 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 interesting. I, I loved that little detail. Like, why who why isn't the president a character in this movie? Uh, well, he's not in the country. Oh, okay. Yeah, that he can't he can't be involved yeah. because like as soon as he's not in America, like they can't reach him by like satellite phone or whatever. <laughs> um, I I love like you know we've talked about it with a bunch of the actors in this movie. I love like all these kind of actors where they're like I know that face. Like uh, where did I know that face from? And like the guy who actually says the title of the movie, Executive Decision, is playing the Secretary of Defense. Um, his, his character is Secretary of Defense Charles White, and he is played by Len Carew. And this is going to be totally random for most people but uh, when I was a kid I used to regularly watch Murder She Wrote and um, he played a recurring character in Murder She Wrote called Michael Haggerty um, so, so there you go. That was the Angela Lansbury show right? Yes Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And talking about random TV actors uh, appearing in this movie one of the generals is played by uh, Ken Jenkins who is best known for playing Dr. Bob Kelso in Scrubs. Yes, I saw that too. I, I, oh, yeah. This this movie has the most random cast. <laughs> Everyone was like, hey, it's in a nice so, and then, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then what we kind of get, though, I realized, so um, now I don't even know where it's positioned at, but they also learn that they let the, the person go free um, Jaffa that they wanted to go free and but the it's made clear that they're not going to be um, landing the plane and just turning around and you know getting away as part of the deal was that like they make it clear to Jaffa and to um, basically the United States who are t who are listening in that this is going to be an attack because I think yeah which the rest of his team, I guess the terrorist group does not agree with. <laughs> it's just the decision he's made. Yeah. So, like, so this is kind of like, you know, I, this movie in many ways is 
a, a kind of typical kind of uh, 90s diehard clone, you know, like kind of diehard on a plane. There's a couple of key differences of why it's not a diehard clone, but this is one of the things where it very much follows those beats of like, you think the terrorist motivation is one thing, but then it actually it's another thing. Although in this movie, it was clearly flagged that it was another thing by Dr. David Grant. And also, this is a scene, so his second in command is uh, he he's not happy. Oh, Hassan's second in command, not happy at all with how the, he's going to go through with this plan, uh, no matter what, even though the Jaffa's freed and they can just fly to Algeria if they want. That's the, you know, that's 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 the plan. And he was happy with that plan, but not happy with just indiscriminately bombing. And this is the mo movie's kind of like we're not racist, like we're really not racist. We have a character explicitly saying this isn't about Islam, so we're not racist. Even although these are the most crudely caricatured <laughs> Arab terrorists, totally not racist. So don't accuse us of racist because look at this character. He's literally said it's not about Islam. And, and, and you know yeah. what? You have to you have to listen to this movie again. Grant is smart because he wears glasses, and this is not about Islam because they said it's not exactly. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> don't pay attention to these to very problematic characters <laughs> just pay attention to that one line that says we're not racist yeah <laughs> and we forgot to mention that on top of that when they first think of disarming the bomb kind of jumping around now here um, there is a sleeper on the plane who basically can activate the bomb without even if it's they're able to deactivate it. So now they have to figure out, you know, because they need more runtime to the movie, that they have to figure out who the sleeper cell is so that they can get him so he can't activate the bomb while they're do also doing their attack. Right. Yeah. Which brings in Halle Berry. Yeah. And, and, and they kind of really build this, like, throughout the movie, they kind of build this up of, like, there's this guy that you see... Like, first of all, again, in terms of the plot's logic, uh, basically, they're just looking for a guy with a pager. And apparently, pagers were so uh, rare in uh, when, when this was filmed in 1995 that, um, that you know, like, it, it really stood out that, you know, somebody would have a pager and therefore they are the sleeper agent. And then they kind of play it up as, like, it, as if it's going to be like this kind of big character that we've heard about or something whereas it's just like first of all the character that they play up to is is decoy um and second of all uh the character who it actually is is just an arms dealer guy that we hear about in one exhibition exposition dump uh, scene uh slightly earlier on you know like much earlier on in the movie um and and that's it and it's kind of like yeah like yeah we we heard about that character very briefly but like why are you kind of setting up as if it's like oh what that guy's turned on them like or you know whatever like or it was like oh it was the president all along you know like i, I don't yeah, yeah. I, I don't quite get why the way they set it up as if it's some sort of big mystery i don't know why they set it up like that because it, it's really not yeah no i yeah. I agree with that. <laughs> I think if maybe it was just anything, they set it up like that to get Kurt Russell out of the basement because that's what um, what they're enlisting 
uh, Jean to do is mm. uh, um, Grant calls her on the phone and says, hey, there's someone has a he's the trigger man. And so just go around, look for anything that looks suspicious or looks computerized or whatever. And she comes back and goes over to the hidden camera and says, hey, I saw this shifty guy uh, with a kind of what looks like a small little pager or, de or computer device which when I saw that, I was like, wow, that was so rare back then. How did people travel? Because nowadays everyone has, you know, there's a computer on the back of each person's chair on a plane and you get to watch movies and you have cell phones. But gosh, back then, what did you do? Like read? Jeez. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah so she gives them the information like, hey, I think it's this guy over here. And uh, this again leads to another moment of hey we're gonna set up and we're gonna we're gonna storm these guys again. I think this is uh, like Craig was saying like the fourth or fifth time they do it. Um, so they're about to go out, yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden uh, we get the first glimpses of Grant making an executive decision, where he's like, you know what, I'm gonna get as close to this guy as possible, and he comes out from the basement uh, using Gene as a decoy. Uh, we, yeah. I, oh, I did like, I miss something? Yeah, we can. We kind of we kind of okay. skipped a little bit um, because, like, after like we found out like the decoy thing, we do get like um, basically there was an earlier scene where um, like uh, Grant is kind of reassuring Kale is like, ah, oh, if, if it all goes wrong, just use your magic wand, which is the st oh, straws yes. he's always chewing on, and then that comes back in because uh, again, check off straw, um, which like uh, he places <laughs> to dis disarm the the, the bomb. Um, but also there's a bit where um, like uh, the Hassan like kills Senator Mavros um, because like you know there's yeah there's a little scene oh, well, yeah. uh, with with him where he's uh, being kind of slime boily and kind of doing the negotiation thing and then he just gets killed uh, and then there's an order from the command center to destroy the plane and then uh, but at the very last second. Uh, Baker manages to do Morse code with the lights at the back of the plane, and the planes are like, ah, I think the that that team they got they got uh, they, it's, it's Alpha One, and then and then uh, the National Command Center, Military Command Center, whatever it's called, even though it's clearly the Pentagon, that's not what comes up in the digital readout. Even though it's mentioned by other characters as being the Pentagon, it's like the National Command Military Center or whatever. Um, they're like, oh, Alpha One, that's the team. The team must have made it on board. So they call off the airstrike, uh, and then the uh, that's that's them. And then they're kind of like they kind of settle uh, on a plan. But then uh, Dr. Grant does his maverick move and we cut back into where you were, Caleb. <laughs> well, uh, actually, I, I will. There was a moment. I'm glad you uh, backtracked me because there was a moment when they were doing the Morse code when the fighter jets, the Navy pilots, they, there's a line in here that says no one uses Morse code anymore. And I was thinking, I mean, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not in the Navy. I'm not in any branch of the military at all. But I'm almost certain that it, that is still taught and is still used by the Navy. Because Pretty sure, I'm, yeah. I'm almost certain they invented it. <laughs> um, I just love this line of like, no one uses Morse code anymore. And I wrote here in my notes, except Navy pilots and every other action thriller movie ever made. 
<laughs> That's a fair point. But yeah, uh, yeah, all the you know, the jets and stuff that happens, it kind of leads to nowhere, building up this movie's runtime. Uh, back to where I was leading to, where Grant uses Gene as a kind of a decoy human shield to get him over to where they think the Trigger Man is. Grant makes a move for him, and it is unfortunately not the correct person because this little device bag thing that this guy had is only a little bag that held a lot of diamonds like a ton of diamonds i i would almost assume that they were blood yeah. diamonds with how <laughs> yeah with how sneaky he was trying to be uh but grant's like oh crap it's not him let me look around the cabin for the other uh for the other arab <laughs> arab looking guy in the back ah oh, he's the trigger man just because you know he looks to be one um and he <laughs> makes a dash for him this movie is not racist <laughs> it, the movie is not racist but you as know, we've already discussed not not racist but yes <laughs> racial profiling apparently me. wins in this film yes <laughs> It's like uh, it was like season two of of twenty four. If you remember that that show, where oh yeah, uh, everyone was like, you know, there's that Arab family living down. I bet they're terrorists. And they're like, no, they're not. When actually they were. Like this is exactly it. It's not <laughs> racist, but racism kind of actually helped <laughs> in the end, unfortunately. Um, yeah, but but Grant he he makes a dash for him, and the uh, the actual trigger man tries to pull out his little device and is entering in the codes. They get into a little scuffle and the rest of the team, uh, Rat and uh, BD Wong and everyone, they break out, they blow the lights, they take out everyone that they can. And I think they, I think they take out majority of people um, other than the, other than Hassan, the leader. Yes. Who's, who's you know, kind of you know, struggling. Maybe he's shot or wounded. Um, yeah, yeah, Hassan is shot. Yeah, I think shot he's shot back. by the marshal who's played by Richard Real. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Okay. Uh, they so they're taking everyone out, and I think the last henchman um, before the leader uh, he gets shot. But as he's shot, he kind of pulls down on the trigger and lets loose a couple of bullets that hits a window, and all of a sudden there's suction out of a plane. So a couple of people get killed. Um, but while that's happening, the trigger man is able to slowly get that finger onto the enter button, even though Grant tries to pull him away, but he presses the enter button. So everything is lost and everything looks bleak. But thankfully, uh, uh, Cahill is just in the right spot at the right time. And the little trigger does not fully connect because of that magic wand that Craig mentioned earlier in the film uh, comes into play and it's, it, it's our, it, it's our, uh, I guess, deactivating of the, of the device of the bomb and they stop everything. They save everything. Uh, while the plane though, seems to be going down from the change in pressure due to the window being blown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is the most surprising thing about that is not that that happens. It's just that that doesn't happen earlier because there's like a gun battle that goes on yeah. between the terrorists and the Segalanites. And then you're like, like, oh, this is, 
this is really they're really accurate they're really just hitting the people that they want to hit uh, and not hitting any of the the like the windows or, or the walls of the plane that would obviously uh, damage the plane and cause it to lose pressure and oh right yeah because the plot says so now of course you know like um there's a bunch of machine gun bullets that, that go through the wall of the plane and uh, a couple of windows or whatever now, of course yep we need to start adding more problems <laughs> as much as possible <laughs> and as Craig's kind of mentioned throughout the episode, I, again, this is not smoothly done uh, because like BD Wong's character ends up getting <laughs> shot, um, like Rat ends up getting uh, shot by Hassan, who has been shot himself. Like, uh, again, this is just kind of all kind of chaotic and, and they're just kind of winging it. He gets shot in the ass, too. <laughs> like, he's not shot in the back or like m- mortally wounded. I looked at the blood spot. He shot in the butt. And yeah. but I guess yeah. it's it's smart. He got shot and he's just playing dead. Because yeah. he because Hassan goes up to yeah. where the cockpit is uh, cockpit is and Grant goes up there too to he's all he's all happy. They hear on the intercom or on their radio uh their communications that hey the Cahill and Cappy they stopped the bomb. So he's happy and he goes up to the cockpit and Hassan is there waiting for him. And I I feel like there's the moment here is supposed to be bigger because Grant is the guy who's been hunting this guy for years and years. But I don't feel like it ever gets to a moment where it was like, it's, it was you, you've been following me or something yeah. like that. Um. Yes, yeah, so I did it, want to ask a question. I did want to ask you both a question about this particular scene. So I mentioned that like this film is kind of uh, a, a diehard clone, but in two key areas, it's not a diehard clone. The kind of two things that it does that is away from that formula is this is... Um, so for it to be a total diehard clone, um, Grant would have had to have been on the plane and then the terrorists like emerge and like he's just kind of caught up in it. Whereas like, so they're implanted into the situation instead of the situation happening uh, to, to him. Uh, so that's one key difference. And the other key difference is that most of these diehard, uh, diehard itself and diehard clones, it's like this kind of cat and, cat and mouse thing um, where the terrorist plans keep getting foiled uh, by the protagonists of the movie and it, it keep, and they, they kind of like oh god damn it like he's oh another henchman's turned up dead oh yeah but like for most of the length of the movie the terrorists are not aware of the commandos at all um like so there is no cat and mouse element uh, so it gets to this scene and they play it as if there has been a cat and mouse element because like uh, hassan is like who are you and, and and he's just like i'm no one and it's just i don't know like it, yeah it just doesn't make sense um so i suppose yeah what yeah uh, what, what did you guys because, make of yeah. it as if they, no, I, it, it was I mean, like they were being a diehard clone in that moment but they, there was no setup. Yeah, I agree with that because the way even the dialogue goes where he says you're a very clever man and stuff and going with what Caleb was even saying of that, even if that flashback had shown like that was, if they did a flashback in the beginning and that Grant was originally a, a field operative and that's you know how he kind of ended up behind a desk or something like that just to connect these two 
but yeah, they're trying that element where you have Bruce Willis and you have um, Alan Rickman meet and they don't necessarily, and Bruce Willis doesn't know he's the cop or he's the killer or the terrorist or whatever. And, but you still, you're seeing them meet and it's like, oh, something's going to happen, something. And you're kind of just watching this and it's even past this runtime, which I've, you know, been making a joke about throughout this thing, but you're kind of, I don't know, like, oh, well, yeah, I guess they're meeting now, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> and, and I mean, he's, Hassan is shot. His plan is failing. Why, why do you care who he is? Shoot him. <laughs> he walks up the yeah. stairs, just shoot him like how you did rat. Just not in the butt, like actually shoot him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, at this stage you've got nothing to lose, Randolph. Yeah. But I yeah, but I yeah, I realized I wrote in one of my notes is that rat is me by the end of this movie. Where I'm just like, just let's get over with. Come on. It's just somebody's gotta die or something's gonna happen. Yep. And uh yeah, and I guess I'm not sure if Hassan knew that they were overland or close to being overland, or if they were if they had crossed the border or whatever, but he makes the last minute decision like well this was going to go down anyway so he confronting grant instead of shooting him decides to turn around and shoot the cockpit uh shoot the pilots through the door and the plane starts starts going down and in our in our action moment after that he turns back to grant to shoot him again i don't know why he did that for didn't do that first but he the choices that he made uh he goes to shoot him and rat who again was only shot in the ass uh comes up and shoots hassan so he's taken out but uh thank you yeah actually oh yep go ahead yeah oh no i was just gonna say grant doesn't actually ever kill any of the terror the most he does is he tackles the guy with the the detonator and that's kind of the only i think harm he actually does upon somebody yeah that's right yeah i think it's that that is the only action other than flying this plane here in the end that's the only action that this action star does in this movie yeah it's just that flying tackle towards the the racist and tackling (laughs) but yes about uh he uh runs to the cockpit and takes the pilots out of their seat and here's our our little callback from the very first act and now he has the chance to uh land the plane finally except this one is much bigger than the small two-person aircraft that he was flying before and uh, and like i said but my my earliest memories or at least my memories with this movie i've seen this scene so many times of just a sweaty kurt russell in a cockpit uh just trying to fly this plane and remembering oh uh flaps i need to turn to this many degrees and power down and landing gear down that was always one of my favorite lines whenever he would say mm. it because it's like that's the first thing that you should think about for landing is put the landing gear down <laughs> it's one of my favorite parts but i've got another question for you <laughs> so guys. i my other question is do you also think that airplane has ruined forever all scenes like this in all movies <laughs> i mean yeah at some points it does i think there'll always be a beat in my mind whenever there's a 
a plane going down or someone trying to land a plane um it'll happen i don't think it's ruin it for me because i mean this whole i guess really this whole setup of this movie of this nerve gas being blown up on the eastern seaboard was basically ripped off by captain america the first avenger mm. that's what they were leading up into that movie and it's yeah. kind of the same moment here um of cap trying to land the plane um but yeah with the whole <laughs> buckets of sweat pouring out of our lead guy yeah because uh, he's so nervous he's gonna crash the plane and kill all these people yeah it's always gonna be in there in my head yeah just because you well, mentioned that as well caleb um i read uh, roger ebert's review for this movie um which he gave a, a, a positive review he said the kind of like it was a it was a thumbs up review even though he meant it was a daft acting movie um but the line that really cracked me up in his review was like why in all these action movies is it always the eastern seaboard why never the western seaboard like what is <laughs> I would I would assume maybe it's the, the U.S. capital is over there. Yeah, maybe I think it's because the West Coast is so fucked already. <laughs> Just with all of the earthquakes and the, okay. the tectonic plates moving, they're like they, they'll take care of themselves. <laughs> it's the East yeah. Coast that we want to destroy. Sure, um, <laughs> but what I like about this scene though is that while he's going through it. So this is where I kind of wish him and Halle Berry, um, they interacted even more to kind of get more of a, um, a dialogue between them. But it's funny because he's asking for the book and the manual and, you know, he misses it the first time. He misses the, the um, landing, the ramp or whatever, the on-ramp. And he, um, then he keeps like double checking with himself and he keeps being into and she just starts yelling at him and telling him to just land the plane. Who cares? Yeah. Just land the plane. That was kind of adds a little humor to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite fun. But yeah, you you mentioned yeah, he missed the the main runway that he was going to uh, which is like the big commercial uh I guess landing strip. Uh, but it's Dulles he, Airport, I think they see in the film. Yeah. Um, but he realizes that, hey, I think he has a second shot because for whatever reason, he can't turn the plane, uh, or at least he's scared to turn the plane. I'm not sure. But yeah, he has that, that realization of, hey, I know where I'm at. I know of another uh, airstrip that I can, I can land on. And it's his original kind of instructor uh, uh, airport that he was at in the very first act where we got introduced to him, where all these small planes are they're sadly going to eat eat the dust <laughs> here in a couple of seconds. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he takes the plane down and it's a very long, long landing, but he is able to land it there in this small little landing strip safely. I, I've put here, uh, blows up several miniatures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think that's where, where the action qualification of this film comes into play. This is where we get our explosions. That's like, true. Oh, and also, um, this is like the movie's like one one liner where Kurt Russell says, like, uh, ah, these things almost land themselves. Uh, and they, they, <laughs> they, it's gonna presented as a kind of zinger. Um, so that's the kind of one. So, like, yeah, 
it's 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 got its action movie checklist and um it's <laughs> had to be there and then we move to 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 wrap up the uh the film uh everyone is getting off of the plane and i put here in my notes and i love this moment that even in the midst of all this terrorist hostage takeover the stewardesses are still there to say bye-bye like on that snl skit to yeah. everyone who's getting <laughs> off of the plane bye-bye thank you for buying bye-bye <laughs> bye-bye thank you all very much bye-bye i was like you don't have to do that you did enough <laughs> <laughs> and uh like um, but he gets recognized by the special the Sigalanites. <laughs> god i love i've coined that phrase now yeah no, it. like it's, it's, it's great going it should have been yeah. a saturday morning cartoon Sigal and the Sigalanites. yeah yeah craig he gets he gets recognized by uh like a little tiny did they did they salute him they do. I've yeah, literally do. written in my plot notes uh, salute of respect. So they, they all give him, like, yeah. um, uh, particularly they do a big close up of Leguizamo's face and he gives them the, the salute of respect. But then what I hate about it is that um, Grant back to then gives them, like, one of those half half assed salutes. <laughs> like, uh, they're not real respectful ones. Yep. Yeah. That's true. That's true. It's like it's not really my thing, but here you go, right back. And I love as well, like, so this movie ends with apparently this is how Grant's life works because there, uh, there is a scene, you know, like at the very start of the movie, he's about to fly up in the plane again, uh, but somebody's like, no, you've got to go back to headquarters, and then he's at a reception, and they're like, no, you got to go to the Pentagon, and then at the very end of this movie, some guy, like FBI guy or whatever, like drives up and being like, yeah, I know you've just saved those people, but we're, we're on to the next mission now. So, like, I just like to believe that Dr. David Grant, whatever he's doing, like, just people People just keep interrupting him whatever he's doing it's just like no you gotta go to the pentagon it's like god like dude you're blue balling him because he's about to do the hockey line yeah. to halle berry he was gonna it was gonna work this time like dude i do um, i do like uh the the last scene that we have uh with cahill cahill comes over to grant and i think this is probably my favorite line or at least the one that stuck with me Mm -hmm. ever since the first time i saw it you know they're congratulating each other and cahill says right now i just need a drink a big drink and it's that big drink line that always has always stuck with me and whenever i whenever i'm going out and it's been a long day or a long week it's like that's the line i use it's from executive decision a movie that <laughs> like how scott said at the beginning of this i'm one of five people that really enjoy it um it's the only line i like to use from it i need a drink oh i, I don't think that's entirely fair i didn't say you're one of five people who enjoy this movie i think most people who watch this movie enjoy this movie i just don't i think you're one of five people who have like a genuine solid memory of it that's that's right that's what you said that's right <laughs> <laughs> um but the, the like the I mean, whatever secret mission he is being driven off to, um, he invites Gene onto it because he's like, ah, you want to go for a coffee? I mean, presumably we're going to do that on the way to whatever secret mission I'm going on. Uh, but uh, And then he uses the hockey line again. 
Um, but it turns out that she likes baseball. But I and I think he's willing to go to a baseball game because it's like, yeah. well, the the line didn't work. It didn't not work. Yeah, so I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. friend. <laughs> yeah. And uh, one of the one of the fun facts, the last fun fact I'll give you a trivia. I'll, I'll give you. Apparently, that was. Uh, I mean, apparently that was an in joke uh, because Halle Berry at the time was married to a baseball player. Um, so that, that's something from the IMDb trivia. Ah, well, I hope they're still together. Oh no, they got divorced ages ago. Like oh, okay. married to some <laughs> random guy from the Atlanta Braves, I, I think I read. Um, so like, yeah. Well, again, this movie is not racist at all. Then. Uh, yep. <laughs> the Atlanta yeah, yeah. Braves. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I think the Atlanta, well, unlike the the Washington Redskins, who are now just the Washington football team, um, I think the Atlanta Braves are still the Atlanta Braves. So, like, hmm. I think, I think <laughs> they are, yeah. Uh, but we will well, not get into the racial so... politics of uh, American sports teams. Yeah. And this is right. not what the podcast <laughs> right. is about. <laughs> and is it? I know. I know. Kurt Russell was a. Um, he played like the coach in that movie, Mystery Alaska, I think, or whatever it was. Is he, a, isn't he an actual, is he a hockey fan? I think he is a sports fan. Like his, his, um, uh, there is a documentary which you can watch on Netflix or it is available on Netflix UK. I'm not sure if it's available over there, uh, called The Bastards of Baseball, um, which uh, talks about his father, uh, who's, who's really into baseball, like coached a, a kind of um, baseball team. I can't remember if I don't think they were a major league. Uh, like they weren't a major league team, but they were one of the one of the leagues. Like, uh, and um, yeah. So, okay. and I think um, uh, when he was younger, he played a lot of sports, and I think he he played he played baseball actually. Um, but I think he he's, he's generally into into uh, uh, a bunch of sports. But um, funnily enough, I think um, even though yeah, he was in that film. Uh, Miracle on the Ice, which I've not seen, but it's supposed to be uh, good. Uh, but um, it, it was baseball that he actually played as a youngster. Okay. And apparently he was pretty good. I think he played, to, he, he, you know, he never got to major league or Great. whatever, but um, I, like uh, certainly played minor league. Okay. Well, uh, the, what we can leave off on is that it goes with a Frank Sinatra song. <laughs> as the car drives away that isn't really fitting to me i don't know it didn't feel like it was fitting you know you know craig i was i'm glad you brought that up because I, I wasn't even going to mention that what decision was this <laughs> like it comes out of nowhere i'm like what it's nice to go traveling yes it's it's from a much it's like I don't know. It's like this film at certain points thinks it's like Die Hard or one of the Die Hard clones. It, it's really weird. But like the whole movie, we've not got any other songs the whole movie. This is the only song on the soundtrack. The rest of the movie is scored by Jerry Goldsmith's uh, militaristic score. Um, very action, you know, typical action score. And, you know, like, and it's very much the movie has played... So at certain points, it seems to think it's Die Hard, but like, you know, the meat of the movie is this more of this kind of uh, Jack Ryan-esque kind of action thriller. And it, it's not this kind of cheeky, winky, 
nothing like that but then it ends with this tune and it doesn't make any sense i don't don't. i mean it's it's fun it's a little wink to the camera but yeah i think what happened with all three of us just comes out of nowhere and it's not like it's it's only played for a couple of seconds in the credits so it plays the entire song for the entire credits um yeah yeah, I, I wish we would have had a little bit more of Jerry Goldsmith, who is, I mean, every, everyone who's probably listened to this podcast or watched mo- any movies has, has heard a Jerry Goldsmith score. Uh, Star Trek, Alien, The Mummy, yeah. Air Force One, another airplane film. That came out the year after this. Right. <laughs> another big ass plane, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to ride on these big-ass planes. <laughs> I want the roof. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I've not, I've not watched um, Passenger 57 in a long, long time, but I'm, I'm going to imagine that that's another one that has a big-ass plane. Uh, but, yeah. Is it Die Hard 2 on a plane, too? Or something? I can't remember. That, one, that one's at an airport. and it has Yeah, that's kind of, of at an airfield. Like, okay. It's not, like, on a plane. It's not, like, set on a plane. There is plane action in it, but, like, it's most of the action takes place on the airfield itself, um, yeah. as opposed to... Okay. Some of the action does take place on, on a plane, but not, like, um, most of it's on the airstrip itself. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> we will cover that another day, my friend. But anyway... Uh, that has been executive decision. That is our thoughts. Uh, you know, you've you've heard everything we've got to say about this movie. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Please uh, comment and uh, you know hit us up on Twitter at nineties underscore all if you want to. You know, you want to send your comments our, our way. Um, also. Uh, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on, on Spotify, uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast, if you can do that. And if you do do that, please give us five stars because the almighty algorithm that we're all ruled by in podcast land says that if it's less than five stars, we're terrible. And you don't want that. You don't want that on your conscience that you've, 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 consigned us to the dustbin of history just because you've sloppily given us three stars so five stars please folks five stars anyway (laughs) before we wrap this up completely uh, it just leaves me to thank uh, both my co-hosts first up uh, Caleb if you can just tell everybody where they can find you on social media and promote the hell out of all your shit you're doing well, you can find me on really my big social media is my YouTube page, Caleb Watches Movies, where I uh, select one of the many movies that I own on DVD or Blu-ray or anything that's recommended to me uh, at all. Any Anything that's, if I get any like PayPal donations with a movie recommendation attached to it, uh, that's where you'd find me. And if any of you uh, enjoyed me here and I wasn't uh, that annoying to everyone uh, please I would enjoy a subscription from you I would uh, love to have you press that uh, that notification bell so you know each time one of my movie reviews comes out I do about three a week and uh, really it's it's Caleb watches movies or Caleb watch movie on any of my other social media Instagram uh, Twitter anything there so yeah come on over 
and uh, don't talk yourself down caleb um why well, i enjoy your channel and i'm sure our listeners will also enjoy your yes. channel so we highly recommend that you go and do that go and do that straight after this episode go to youtube subscribe to caleb's channel and uh craig you want to give the usual social media information and stuff uh, from yourself as well yeah um as always i also co-host bloodhound picks where we you know, look at older obscure horror films and highlight them or highlight kind of independent horror people within the the community uh, we've also had caleb on there is an episode and we've yeah yeah we've been kind of chatting with you about it for a long time scott but so that is bloodhound picks p-i-x or my other instagram twitter it's just Craig Dram and D-R-A-H-E-I-M is the best places to find me on there. And if you want to listen to more of me, listener, you can also at uh, New Horror Express, my horror podcast, where I interview a variety of people within the world of indie horror that comes out every Monday. Uh, but that's all for this time. Be sure to join us next time where we will be looking at John Carpenter's Escape from LA. But until then, see ya. <laughs>